and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars, where it's all about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities to just people bringing their cars to car shows and cruise nights. Hey, everybody, I'm Randy Cardoon. And before we get going, are you listening on iTunes? Don't forget to subscribe to our iTunes page. It's absolutely free, and you'll be notified when a brand-new podcast is uploaded. And if you like what we're doing, please take a moment, rate us, and give us a review. You can also like us on SoundCloud and all over our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Again, talking about cars, and we're also on YouTube. Hey, this week, at a car show in Southern California, I came across a car that looked a lot like a 1951 Plymouth convertible, a red Plymouth convertible. It was just a little smaller. Turns out that car was in the 1951 Rose Parade in Pasadena. But first, I talked to a stuntman who looks a lot like the guy he's a stand-in for in the movies and has a family link to a commercial pitchman who sold a product you use every day, maybe twice or three times a day, every day of your life without fail. Chances are you've seen Stuart Wilson in all sorts of movies because he's a stunt double for superstar Bruce Willis. I talked with Wilson on a video podcast that'll soon be up on YouTube, and I talked to him about one of his cool cars, a four-door Lincoln convertible. It's a 1967 uh, Lincoln Continental convertible, obviously. Uh, it's what they call a home office reserve car. So uh, it's rare. There's 475 made in 1967 of these. It's... Um, Kind of a charcoal gray based on a Lexus graphite gray, a little darker, a little bit more metallic. It was an eight-year restoration. It's got, right now, 31,000 original miles on it. Now, a lot of people will sit there and hear eight-year restoration, and they got to be thinking, man, you're a patient guy. Yeah, if, if, you're, if you're doing it right, and I travel a lot also, but my paint job alone took 22 months. So 10 months to pull the body out straight, and then a year to actually shoot it. Did so. you actually do it, or did you have somebody do it? Hell no. I will never paint a car myself. I had uh, um, uh, Bob and Eugene at, at a, a place called Beanie Customs in Chatsworth do it. They're probably the best in the business. So they had the car, and, and they did a fantastic job. Just look at that paint. Where, where did the car come from? It came from a junkyard in Glendora with all the pieces stuffed inside. I was looking for a project car. I was looking for a 67 Lincoln. Couldn't find one. Walked around there for about 20 minutes. Said, you wouldn't happen to have one, would you? The guy said, yeah, I got one. And there it was under a cover, and he took the cover off. It was in primer, all the pieces stuffed inside, and extra pieces. I have extra pieces for other cars. I have no idea what cars they go to, but it was all stuffed inside, and, and the process began. Did you ever think about doing it you know, as far as taking a look at a car that was in that bad of shape and, and look for something in a little better shape? No, because on the other side of this one is a 39 Chevrolet Master Deluxe Business Coupe that basically is a giant hunk of rust that I know I'm going to fix, so this one wasn't in bad shape compared to that one. Original dashboard, I like that. Some guys sit there and like change dashboards. I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, it's no, I, I think the dashboard is too funky cool. Look at that thing. I mean, the AC unit looks like the radio. It's a matching weird little deal. I think it's totally cool, totally funky, and I had to keep it. Absolutely, and now what's under the hood? Is an original 462 engine, a big giant motor to propel the 6,000 pound car down the road, so. And interesting, too, and you showed this to us before we actually started taping, is there is a top on this, and the top actually comes out and folds kind of like the old Sunliners did back in uh, the late 50s. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The, the, the tops on these things are a giant pain. Uh, there's always something going wrong with the relays or the hydraulics or the electronics, but there's a guy that travels the country, and all he does is fix them, a guy named John Cashman. 
and he's been out here numerous times with this car. But uh, the top's kind of a pain, and, and every day I, I work the top, I pray that it's going gonna, it's gonna to do its thing. Now, you're probably noticing that we're actually under a tarp, but the interesting thing about that is the fact that, talk about it never rains in Southern California, which really it hasn't as of late. But today, today we did this. And it was sprinkling. We figured we don't want to get this wet, but we do want the interview because Stuart, who is a stuntman, and he is kind of between assignments right now, but we wanted to grab him before he had a chance to run off again. But we did want to see this car, and this is really great. Uh, 1967 Lincoln. uh, Nice rims. Where'd you find those? Uh, At a place called Coastline Motorsports right down here on the boulevard. That was the last thing for this uh, vehicle, and if you don't get the right rims and tires, you've blown it. Mm -hmm. So it took forever to decide on the rims. And um, somebody said they're so, they're so understated, they make a statement, which I love that, that comment. So I had to upgrade a little bit. I couldn't stand the 15-inch steel wheels with hubcaps. That just wasn't going to fly. Stereo system in here, is it? I assume it's better than the original. No, that's the original. Really? That's the original. I can't find the original antenna yet. So, therefore, the radio doesn't work. Or it does work, I should say, but you'll, you won't get any reception because you won't be able to... I'm just looking to see, does it have a track in it? No, it's just uh, AM, FM. Oh, okay. I believe, yeah, AM, FM. Wouldn't that be funny if we found out that it wasn't, and you could just kind of press that fascia, fascia oh, in there? And I'm going to do it now. Wait a minute. Does it? No? No. Okay. Oh, well, so much for, I think I scared him a little bit. I, Ten years of owning the car, <laughs> if I found something new because you pointed it out, I'd be <laughs> devastated. <laughs> Well, it's a good thing. There you go. So here we go, 1967 Lincoln. Come on over here. Let's sit down and uh, continue our conversation. Now, for those of you who are looking at him going, you know, I've seen this guy before. Yeah, you probably have because you look a lot like some guy that is in a lot of Die Hard movies. Yeah, actually, uh, thank God I do because that's paid the bills for 10 years now. I've been doubling Bruce Willis for 10 years. Uh So uh, we've done, we are going into actually this week, going into our 20th film together. Yeah, so we're doing a remake of Death Wish, the Charles Bronson movie, so, which will be fantastic. Now, what was the audition situation like that? I mean, did you just like walk in and they looked at you and said, okay, you're it? No, I was, I was actually unemployed at the time. My buddy, uh, Live for Your Die Hard, had just started filming downtown. My buddy Rex called me up. He said, uh, he said, come visit the boys. We're downtown. Everybody I knew was working. I was the only unemployed guy. And uh, I said, I'm not coming downtown. I hate downtown. And he goes, come on, come downtown. I goes, nighttime, I hate it worse. I'll never forget, it was a Friday. And he said, what are you doing? I go, nothing. And that made sense all of a sudden. I got in a car. I went down, saw all my employed friends. I was the only guy with no job. And uh, Rex said, go down the street two blocks and see the stunt coordinator. I went down. Uh, Brad knew me. I didn't know him. He said, take your hat off. And I did. He goes, perfect. I go, for what? And he goes, for Dublin Bruce. And I went, huh? So I went from unemployed, basically because of my buddy Rex, unemployed to Dublin Bruce for 10 years now. So you didn't even know when you went for the audition what the audition was for? Oh, it wasn't an audition. It was just going to visit my friends that were working so I could be more depressed, you know, on a Friday. Yeah, they were all working. I was unemployed. I just went down there to see them work and make money while I suffered. So So did they admit later on that that was some sort of guise to get you down there? No. No, not at all. Rex is just a good guy and said, come on, hang out. Hang out with working people, apparently. So, uh, so yeah, I went down and, and thank God got the job. Show business. Is show business a wonderful thing or what? Yeah, it's an interesting business. Like I said, if we had any real brains, we'd have real jobs. Yeah. So. so, of course, Die Hard was the first one you, you yeah, worked live, with him? Live for your Die Hard with uh, Justin Long. That's the first one I did, the very next film. I didn't even consider myself his stunt double yet. I doubled him on that 
but you never know. And the very next film he did was The Surrogates. He requested me for that, and the rest is history. Now, on uh, the Die Hard movie you worked on, what was like one of the stunts we may remember seeing you in? That he, uh, of course we saw Bruce, but what were you in that you remember? Um, pretty much everything for the most part. There was two of us working, Dublin Bruce, uh, another guy named Dane, a good buddy of mine. Um, the most popular thing, I guess, from that movie was the fact that we spent about a month uh, in an elevator shaft with an SUV hanging in it. So the whole scene where you see that SUV nose down in that elevator shaft, that took about a month to film. And at the actually at the end of the film, I had to drive it and it was so unusual because I'd only been in it with it nose down. I never sat in it normal. It actually drove after all that? Yeah, it was weird. It was really, and sitting in it was, it was kind of odd because, you know, technically I would have been looking down the elevator shaft at that uh, point. So it was weird. But, uh, but no, that was, I think everybody most remembers that, that SUV and, and uh, Maggie Q and all that, you know, falling down the elevator shaft and what have you. Now, I, I keep thinking at one point, of course, Bruce was doing moonlighting. Now, there's no stunts in moonlighting that you'd probably be up for for that. No, I mean, and that was before my time. Moonlighting was, I mean, not. I, I remember the show, obviously, but before my time doubling him. Um, yeah, so. What was the most fun doubling, if you will, that you did with him? I think the Red movies are always fun. Uh, but also, we just did one last year called Going Under. Uh, Bruce is kind of a bumbling detective, and... and uh, he can't, you know, can't give up his past, you know, when he was in high school, and and it was, it's really a well-written film. It's a lot, it was a lot of fun. The script was fantastic, and and the cast of characters was good. But I think overall, the Red movies are pretty consistently just a great shoot. You know, you have you have some of the top actors in the world and actresses, and it was fantastic. Those were those were really good. Any of those people, car people at all? Well, Bruce is definitely a car person. Bruce had quite the collection, and at some point in time, I used to go down when he had cars down here in Santa Monica. Um, I'd get a call from his buddy Stephen on occasion saying, "Hey, this thing's not working," and I'd you know grab my toolbox and head down there and see if I could help out. Uh, you know, but Bruce is definitely a big car guy. I'm I'm trying to think. A few of the guys I run into are car guys, but it's usually crew guys that you know they're the big car guys. But uh, yeah, what Bruce was the best car that you remember? The coolest car that Bruce had. He had a Charger. I think it's a 69 Charger, kind of like the Dukes of Hazard year or whatever. But that thing was bad to the bone. It was black. It was like 720 horsepower. It was a monster. Yeah, it was a, it, that thing was a monster. He brought it by the set of, uh, of Live Free or Die Hard, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Look at this thing. You know, yeah, it was, that was a pretty cool car. He did have a truck I wanted, a five-window, like a 50-some Chevy five-window. Oh, uh, the early 50s. Uh, yeah, yeah, I loved that truck, and he got rid of it, and I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I'd actually had it here in, in my driveway. I, I kept it for a few days. Yeah, I was having some work done on it for him, so. Uh -huh. That's yeah, I wanted to buy the darn thing, but didn't so get. You had somebody at least to talk cars with. That's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, in fact, before you guys showed up, I was watching car programs on uh, on TV. That's all I do. Which, which one did you watch? Well, I'm not going to say it. It's not one of my upper-level ones. It was the Guild. They do restorations. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think, the, I think they're in Canada. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a decent show. I mean, you know, um, I like Count's Customs because I, I, I think the guy is way passionate about cars. And... He doesn't mind doing funky stuff that nobody cares about, not just the high-end stuff. And, and uh, that's probably one of my favorite shows, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. yeah. There are some other, there's so many other shows out there. We've, we've interviewed a lot of the people here on Talking About Cars. It was always kind of fun, the Wayne Carinis and the, and the uh, Dennis Gages and all yeah. those other guys. Well, you, you know how you know Wayne Carini knows everything about cars? He'll, he'll go to a barn and find some funky thing you've never heard of, 
And what really keys me in that he's a car guy is he'll just walk over and hit the latch that opens the hood, and you're like, okay, how does he know that? Because, you know, half the time I can't find the latch for my own cars. And he'll just walk to some rare, oh, yeah. You go, God, that guy knows everything about everything. It's really ridiculous. Take us back to when you first realized you were a car guy. Um, Maybe even if you were a kid or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. As a kid, a big car guy. And the first car that I ever tried to get, my dad was an actor. And um, and so he... Would we, would we know him? Yeah. He, he, he was most famous as uh, uh, Mr. Whipple. Please don't squeeze the Charmin. And yeah. your sister Melanie Wilson was on Perfect Strangers for nine years. Right. Yeah, okay. so uh, my youngest sister Wendy worked for Screen Actors Guild mm -hmm. for quite some time in Pension and Health. Mm -hmm. But I, I'll never forget I was I was riding around with what I used to call my idiot friends because we were all just a bunch of teenage idiots, and I saw a '69 Shelby GT500 convertible for sale. Oh, wow. Now black, white stripes, five thousand dollars, which is unheard of. Now. But $5,000 when you're 18, 19, might as well be $5 million. Yeah. So I run home to my dad. I'm like, Dad, i gotta, I got to borrow $5,000. He asks for what? I tell him about the car. He goes, there's not a car on the planet that has more than $500 worth of metal in it. Because he wasn't a car guy. Mm -hmm. And that car probably was that a half-million-dollar car right now at least. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So uh, That would have been a lot of Charmin back then. That was a lot of Charmin. It, it, it was, but uh, you know what? We could have given him, you know, cases of toilet paper for the car. Worst case scenario. You know, <laughs> I, I could just see the negotiations. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you fifteen hundred, and I got a truckload of truck Charmin right here paper. in the back. <laughs> you do use the restroom, don't you? Well, this is, you know, yeah. It's so. not like you're not going to use this stuff. No, exactly. You're going to use it. I mean, all the toilet paper they ever gave us, we used at I some know. point in time. You know, that would have been awesome. Yeah. So no, he wasn't a car guy. Obviously, that was that was the deal. And my first car that I ever restored was a um, a 1960 uh, Cadillac. Uh, what the hell was it? A coupe. It was a Sienna Rose. It was a beautiful car. Lost it in my divorce. Found it twice. It's sitting in a warehouse in Long Beach right now. So when I get back in town, I'm going to try to buy that. How many cars do you have? And tell us about some of the cars in your stable, if you will. Well, this one's done, <laughs> so we'll say this one's the first one. Then, uh, um, just a few doors over, uh, I have a 70 Chevelle SS, an original 454 car. He literally means a few doors over, and that's because a couple houses over from here. Yeah, literally. I, that's my other house. So, uh, the car's sitting there right now. Um, it's blue, white stripes, white pearl interior, but we're going to go in probably an Art Morrison chassis, 572 crate engine because it doesn't have the original 454 in it contemplating whether we're going to put some sort of hoop in it or a cage i don't know and then it, don't don't even turn the camera that way but there is a rusty 1939 chevrolet master deluxe business coupe go ahead if you find go anything ahead. that resembles paint on that let me know there's a there's not it's right there there's yeah. maybe a little paint underneath it's got a mustang two front clip on it right now and uh, eventually that car i have a buddy that's got three cars that each have 1200 horsepower he's got a henry j twin turbo 1200 horsepower he's got a naturally aspirated 70 l is the 70 l camino's naturally aspirated yeah 1200 horsepower and then he's got a uh 44 you know and that's 1200 horsepower so i told him i said i'm gonna make this one 1500 horsepower just because everything you have is 12 just to be a butthead basically i'm gonna i'm gonna try to go so i'm gonna when i build this car it's gonna get to the point where people go something's wrong with stewart he's landed on his head too much what's wrong with him so i, I always wonder about guys who take henry j's 
yeah. which at the time was just an economy car that yeah. Kaiser did. Yeah. And then, and even Willys back in the time that, uh, and they stick these incredible huge engines in them as race cars. They're too funky. When you do them and you do them right, they are the funkiest, cool little thing on the planet. They're amazing. So, yeah, if I saw a bone stock one, I would go, okay, have fun with that. But when you see these guys that trick them out, you go, that's a funky little car. I like that thing. I don't know if I do one, but, you know. Okay, so what else do you have? That's it. I have the three. I'm trying to buy my old Cadillac back that I lost in my divorce. Oh, I thought ago. you had it already, and oh, you just, no, it was I, in some I, warehouse. You just know where it is. Well, I, I found it, long story short. Uh, it was down in, um, in Gardena in a warehouse. This guy had a computer company. I found it, and I'm like, great. I wanted to buy it back. I didn't have the money back then. Um, two years ago, I was down in that area. I'm like, I'm going to go get my Cadillac back, and he was out of business. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Tracked him down to Denver, Colorado, believe it or not. He has like 150 cars in his collection. He goes, I think that car's in a warehouse in Long Beach. So he gave me the address, hooked me up with the, the guy that owns the warehouse. I went down there, and there it is, sitting down there in a warehouse in Long Beach. Now, his wife, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Coupe de Ville's, but they have the, the rear quarter is about 400 feet long. It's like right. a ship. It's amazing. 1960. Yeah, 60. And uh, apparently his wife had a you know little air in judgment and, and kissed something and just creased the entire rear quarter on the driver's side, all the way from front to back. I'm like, oh, that's nice. So it's going to need a little work. I'm not going to do it to the level of this. I think I'm going to make it a daily driver. And So how long did your ex have it before it disappeared that you know? Oh, no, I had it, but it was part of the divorce thing. It had to go away. So she never had it. That's why I'm going to get it back. So, uh, <laughs> well done. Yeah, yeah. Well touche. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well played. Well played. Yeah. Yes, I want to get it back for a few reasons. <laughs> uh, I got it. I well, yeah, it's a cool, funky car. It's just, you know, it doesn't, it, it, they don't, old cars, as you know, you have to pre-plan your stops. It's got the worst brakes of any car I've ever been in. You know, if I decide to stop a few miles down the road, I start braking now. And They did not have disc brakes, obviously. No, and this Lincoln is amazing. I thought it, when I first, you know, took the car on the road before any of the restorations started, I thought it was going to be like the old Caddy. And I got on the brakes because I wanted to stop it at the end of the street and almost went through the windshield. I was sitting on a milk crate. I'm like, you got to be kidding. These brakes are fantastic. So everything, you know, after that caddy has to have good brakes. So of all the cars you've had, and, and this may very well be, have already been answered, but of all the cars you had that you don't have anymore, I'm assuming the Cadillac is the one you want to get back. Or is there another car? There's a, I had a 65 uh, Mustang Coupe with a Shelby Cobra racing front end that I got just after high school i traded an mg that i had convertible i don't know how that deal came came about but anyway so i got that car that car was cool i don't know what happened to that car to be honest i think i think that whoever has that can keep that i think i think i'll focus on the caddy because i have no room you, you walk through my house my house is tiny my yard is tiny um well you're putting your money obviously into the things that count yeah, certainly not my wardrobe, but cars. <laughs> cars. If I get a hole in these pants, then I'll get new pants. But so far, so good. So, yeah, cars. So how exactly did you want to – did you always want to be a stunt person? How did you get into that? My dad had a production office at one, of the, at one of the studios, and I was heading to his office one day, and there was a stunt school. And the guy had a really killer brochure. And I don't know if I ever made the association back then that when an actor jumped off a roof that it wasn't the actor or maybe I knew it and didn't care. I have no idea. But this brochure was cool. And everything he said he could do, I was like, okay, this is great. And, you know, you sign up and you take classes. And my, my family, all actors and actresses, and it's like, 
all right, go land on your head. You know, we don't care. Have fun. And uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy the hell out of it. Uh-huh. That's kind of neat. So how long did you have to go to school to get to get be proficient at it? I think I'm still trying to be proficient at it. It's it's uh, it's constantly changing as the stunts get bigger than they were back back then, and everything kind of evolves. Um, it just it was a long process to get work. Like people ask me how long you've been doing stunts, and I always say doing stunts or making a living doing stunts. I've been making a, a living doing stunts for about 15 years, but I've been doing it about 33. So I've had every crummy job on the planet. I've loaded buses at the bus station. I've done everything you can think of that's stupid and horrible and nobody wants to do and in the quest to be a stunt guy. So. Thank God it's working out right now. When we recorded this, the Emmys were just recently, and I assume at this point you're among the guys that would love to see an Emmy for stunt work. Well, I don't think they're ever going to do that. Uh, you know, Oscars, Emmy, nobody's going to do that for us. Uh, I don't know why, but my argument is then if you're not going to nominate us or let us have a category, which is okay, they don't have to, stop using our footage to promote the event because all the footage you see when you see this, the A-list actors and actresses for these particular films that they're getting nominations, they're jumping off buildings and flipping cars. Well, hold on a second. That's not you. Um, so just don't show our footage. See how, how good those awards things will be without that footage. Good point. Good point. We're talking to Stuart Wilson. He is a stunt guy. He is Bruce Willis's personal stunt guy. Yeah, double John Malkovich and Transformers, because we work with John on the first Red movie that we did. And he's fantastic. And I literally went there to set to, we had choreographed a fight for, for John. And so I went there to walk him through the fight. And when I got there, I found out he's fighting Bumblebee, a 16-foot-tall robot. So everything that we had choreographed while working together went right out the window because I've never fought a robot. So we just had to wing it. And what it, whatever you saw in the film was hysterical because John just kind of did his own thing, and I tried to match that. And then uh, Michael Bay took a liking to me and said, all right, you're doubling him. So I've doubled a few actors, but mainly it's been Bruce, obviously, and then uh, John I've doubled a couple times. Wow. How do you, how do you double a, a CG Camaro in that case like Bumblebee? It's interesting. They they basically they put a mark like a little face of Bumblebee about 16 feet in the air, and you pretend all this stuff is happening. It's it's odd. It's very odd. And then at some point in time in in that particular scene, Bumblebee uh, he he pokes John in the chest, and John falls on his back. So I gave Michael as many different versions of falling on my back as as I could think of, even to do the Karate Kid thing, you know, where you come up on one foot, I did that, just anything he wanted to use, and and I guess he liked it, so I was on that film. Wow. So, John, when he's doing this, is his normal height? John Malkovich? Yeah. Yeah, John's taller than I am. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm six foot, John's probably at least six one. Oh, okay. He's a big dude. He's a big dude, but he's just, he's, well, first of all, he's brilliant. Uh, but, yeah, he's he's a funny guy. I like him. That's kind of cool. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the cars and the fact that um, there's a lot of cars out there. You're working on your Cadillac. Is there anything, if if money were no object or even money, this way you get two answers. If money was no object and if money was an object, what would be the two cars that you would want that's number one on your Stuart Wilson list of cars? Well, here's one that's not on my list, but I feel as though I have to get it. My mom, when she was younger, had a, a car called a Vermorel. I know, I had to look it up. I don't know why. She just is obsessed with having a Vermorel. I don't know if that's, I'm pronouncing it correctly. So I have to find one of those. What is it exactly? It almost looks like the old school uh, MGs. Remember the MGs with the the open, you know, the open wheels, but they had the big fenders, the flowing fenders, and the nose dipped in and all. 
It kind of looks like that, at least if that's the right one that I saw online. I don't know. Did she have pictures with her with it? Of course or? not. Of course not. That would be too easy. Oh, of course. So, Silly me. Yeah, yeah. And if money was no object, that's one I, I could care less to have, but I think if I could get it for my mom, it'd be great. But money, no object. Wow. I, I don't... If money was no object, I'd pick a car that I like, such as the 70 Chevelle like I have, but I'd get a few of them, and I'd take one to Chip Foose, one to Condigit, one to, uh, to Counts Customs, and I'd go, here is an unlimited amount of money to do what you want to do, and see who comes up with the best one. We actually had somebody on the show uh, recently, and he talked about he has two Mustangs. He gave one to one custom guy to do it. He gave another one to Bodie Stroud to do. Okay. And I asked him, I said, well, why would, why would you do that? They're in competition. And he says, no, they just do two different things. But right. I'm going to have two really cool Mustangs by the time you're, out, you're exactly. done with that. Exactly. If I could, if I could do that, that, I mean, that would be a dream. You just roll in there. Here, Chip, here you go. Here, Dave Kendig, here you go. Have the, you just go, yeah, here you go. Have fun. Let me know in a year or so when these things are done. You know, and like you said, you know they'd be the ultimate cars. They'd be so cool. You know, but that's a lot of money. <laughs> that's a hell of a lot of money. Okay, so you got the movie coming up. You're going to be doing that one with uh, Bruce here that you're going to start working on pretty soon. Yeah. Um, uh, in three days. In three days. So uh, that should be kind of interesting because no one's ever done tried to redo that. No, I know, and the script is actually fantastic. The script goes back to the first uh, Death Wish movie was this guy, you know, as, as, as we know, he becomes a vigilante because of the tragedy in his family, and he doesn't know what he's doing. He's not that guy, and then he tries, so he's not successful as a vigilante at first. Then he becomes pretty good. Then towards the end, you know, he had one gun with four bullets and killed 500 men. And all. It's, it's like, so it goes back to the original one where the guy doesn't really know what he's doing. He's not a physical guy, but he's had this tragedy because of some bad guys. And, and he goes out on this deal and tries to get these people back. And, and he's not that successful at first. He's not that good, you know. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. It's a great script, and, and I'm looking forward to doing it. In fact, we have a fight next week on the L train in Chicago, so that'll be fun. A fight next week on the L train in Chicago for our viewers and listeners in Chicago. In Chicago, we'll be there, and uh, I will be the one getting beat up uh, by, I think, three assailants at this point in time. And so. Bruce will be off to the side sipping tea. Yes, he will be having tea, and if it's cold, he will have a heater by him. I will be freezing and getting beat up by three thugs. But at least you'll be making the money to buy these really cool cars. Yeah, I'm, I'm working towards you know having those three cars that I can throw at the various builders. And, and so the more I land on my head, the closer I get. Too. Yeah, I think. Stuntman and a man who might never run out of toilet paper, Stuart Wilson. Now, walking around Supercar Sunday, as I often do in Woodland Hills, California, I get to see all sorts of cars, and a red convertible caught my eye. So, live on our Talking About Cars Facebook page... I went up to the owner of what appeared to be a small version of a 1951 Plymouth convertible and found out it wasn't a Plymouth convertible at all. Michael Jameson talked with me about its interesting history. Well, this is a 1951 Hellman Minx. It was made specially in 1951 for the Rose Bowl Parade. It's the only red one in the planet, painted red in England by Hellman. Most of these things probably rotted away. I have a 1948 one, uh, Hellman, that I've completely re-engineered to have air conditioning, power steering, power disc brakes, everything like that. Right. MG engines. Goes real good. This one's all original, though. I guess, how did you get this into this country? Because this is basically a British car, it. right? I bought it here. Oh, you did? Yes, and found it in the penny saver. 
found it in the penny savers. Somebody had it, they used it, you know, they've been taking it to the Rose Bowl parade after 51. But, uh, you know, they didn't really realize the rarity of it. It was made specifically for the 1951 Rose Bowl parade and painted red. It's the only red one. They did not come in red. So it was painted red in England by the factory. That means you can take off the door panels and everything else and find red paint. Wow. Yeah. Look at this. They should have painted more red. The colors, the colors that they, they had were pretty horrible. Hospital green, vomit brown, stuff like that. You vomit know? brown. Was that the official color title on the uh, brochure? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look in the original showroom manual. <laughs> But I think there were only three or four different color choices. Uh -huh. Red was not one of them. Yes, sir. I'd like my Hillman Minks and Vomit Brown. I like that, actually. Oh, that is Seafoam Puke. I don't know. Seafoam <laughs> Puke. One of my personal yeah. favorites. Let's see. It's interesting because, you know, a lot of these cars take their cues from previous vehicles. This almost looks like a, you know, an older Plymouth, kind of the way they... Well, yeah, it does. The, the 48 one I have is completely different than this. It's got suicide doors. It's got the three-position convertible top. Uh -huh. This does also. Uh, but it, it's got a pointed hood, swallow fenders. I mean, all the... I, I like the look of it a lot better than this one. But this is quite nice. Very Either good. Way. Thanks for bringing it. Appreciate it. Quite welcome. Oh, and it's got the turn signals here oh, yeah. on the side. The gauge comes out. Yes. A lot of Britain, British cars have that. So there you go. 51, let me get out of the way, 51 Hillman Minks. You can see that car on our Talking About Cars Facebook Live page. I urge you to go check that out along with all the other Facebook Live events we have been to and taken shots of. Hey, if you're listening on iTunes, number one, subscribe. It's free. You'll automatically get notified when a new show uploads. Then rate us and write a review. If you're listening on SoundCloud, like us and follow us and spread the word about our great guests and award-winning now Talking About Cars podcast. Also, check out our videos on YouTube. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.